your Bibles with me, please, and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to read the first six verses of Nehemiah chapter 4. You can remain seated as we read, and let's read together. You can follow along silently as I read out loud. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening that we have to come together to fellowship and to preach your word. And Holy Spirit, as we gather in this place, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, to each one of us. That as we sit here tonight and listen to the word of God preached, that we might examine our own hearts to determine whether or not we have a mind to work. That we might work for you in this place. We might serve you. That we might see people saved and we might see the kingdom work done in this place. So bless us now as we look into your word and teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When I think about tonight's message, A Mind to Work, some some characteristics come, come to mind that I think we have to consider when we consider our own hearts. Words such as attitude. What is our attitude toward the work of God? What is our attitude toward the house of God? What is our attitude toward the people of God? Words such as priorities. What are our priorities? What things are most important to us in our hearts and in our minds? Words such as expectations. Why are we doing all the things we are doing? Why do we, why do we, we, we live for the Lord and why do we make the sacrifices that we make in our lives? Words such as commitment. And in our hearts and minds tonight, do we have a commitment to the Lord? Or is church and prayer and Bible study and things such as that, are they just matters of opportunity or matters of convenience? Now, we read just a moment ago from Nehemiah chapter 4, and I've taken my title for this message tonight from verse 6, where Nehemiah stated, for the people had a mind to work. He said, so built we the wall. In other words, Nehemiah is saying God's work was done. This work was accomplished because the people had a mind to work. 
These people that we're talking about that were in Jerusalem, they faced poverty. They were not wealthy people. They were not living in, in, in lavish comfort. They, were, they faced poverty. They f- faced affliction from those around them. They faced, on a daily basis, persecution and reproach. Every day of their lives, I'm sure, to some degree, they faced discouragement. Yet, despite all of this, Nehemiah was able to say that they had a mind to work. Despite all that they faced, they had not abandoned hope. They did not give up. When Nehemiah presented them with the solution, they bought in, if you will, to the task. They committed to the cause. Now today, across our nation, we hear much complaint about the conditions in which we live in America. We see much deprivation in the fabric of our society. We see less tolerance for biblical principles and morals. But tonight, I must ask the question, can the same be said of you and I tonight? Are we a nation of believers that have a mind to work? Now tonight, I would, I would like to ask each of you here to stop and consider this question. Not about the person next to you, or not about the person across the sanctuary from you, but the person that is you. Do you have a mind to work? Do you have an attitude? Do you, do you have the priorities? Do you have the expectations and do you have the commitment tonight to work for God? There is so much in our nation, there's so much in our state, in our community, there's so much in our church, in our homes, so much in our personal lives that must be done today. And if you and I will accomplish the monumental task of rebuilding the walls of our society and rebuilding the walls of our faith, we will need to follow the example left by those who have gone on before us. So with the time that I have tonight, I would like to consider this event in biblical history. I'd like to, I'd like to look at some, some characteristics and some, some um, things in this story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall that I believe will help us to develop this attitude and the priorities and the expectations and the commitments of being a Christian with a mind to work. So let me begin tonight first by saying there was despair over the desolation. There was despair over the desolation. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's just go back a couple pages over to chapter 1. And I'll begin reading at verse number 3. We read here Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 3. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words 
that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah, when he heard of the condition, when he heard of the desolation in Jerusalem, he wept. And he wept for for days. He mourned over the desolation in Jerusalem for days, the Bible tells us. Now, I am sure, as was the custom of the Jews, that he donned sackcloth and he lay in the dust and the ashes and he wept in sorrow and he wept in humiliation. I believe that Nehemiah was brokenhearted over the things he heard about his beloved city, Jerusalem. The sorrow he felt, the shame he felt, the reproach upon the name of the Lord. This was too painful for Nehemiah to bear. It was a burden too heavy for his heart to consider. But what about the desolation that we see in our world tonight? I thought of some things here that speaks volumes of the condition of our world. First, I thought about the abandonment of God's word. Tonight, the word of God has been banned from our legislative and judicial systems. It has been banned from the government schools that our children attend. Prayer is no longer welcome in our courtrooms in our Congress halls, in our classrooms. Biblical principles and morals and ethics have been replaced with secular humanist philosophies. In Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 9, we read, The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? And this is what we see today, all around us. I'm amazed at the ignorance of such supposed intelligent people. I've often said it's amazing how stupid educated people can be. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 22, we read, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And this is what we see today. All across our university campuses and our our high schools and all these different educational uh, facilities, we see people who are, as the Bible states, fools. You know, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But at the same time, I fear that far too many Christians are mesmerized by these men you parents that have children let me tell you something just because a man has acronyms like BA or BS MBA PhD just because they have all these big sounding acronyms after their name does not mean that they possess spiritual wisdom remember what we just read from Jeremiah We read, the wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in what do these people have to teach our children? 
What do they have to teach them? What do they have to teach our young adults in college? Wisdom is found in the word of God. Wisdom proceeds from the mouth of God and is delivered into our hearts by the spirit of God. And these things we find not within their classrooms, within their universities. Oh yes, even among many of those that proclaim to be believers. Even among these we see an abandonment of God's word and and true biblical doctrine. But not only is there an abandonment of God's word when I consider this, but secondly, I think about the abomination of our world. In Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, the psalmist writes, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The abomination of our world tonight, homosexuality, pornography, incest, fornication, abortions, drunkenness, murder, revelings, and the list goes on and on and on. And all of these abominable works are occurring all about us every day. Even as we sit here tonight to 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 hear the words of God, there are people involving themselves in these very things all around us. Yet the vast majority of our Christian nation are either oblivious of it or they have become completely tolerant and even receptive of it. Turn with me, leave a marker here in Nehemiah, and let's turn together to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 23. Well, let's, let's back up to 22. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 22. We read here, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient, to parents, I always, I always 
marveled at God sticking that right in the middle of this list of horrific things. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I mourn tonight for our children. I'm, my heart aches tonight for my grandson and my future grandson. The desolation of our world tonight is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking tonight to any true child of God. Any of you who have children or grandchildren or, or any of you who, who love God's people and love the Lord himself, it is a heartbreaking Heartbreaking thing to, to, to read that list of the reprobate world we live in. The abandonment of God's word. The abomination of this world. But when I contemplate the desolation we face, a third thought comes to my mind, and that is the aversion of God's will. The aversion of God's will. Turn with me now. Let's go together to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 13. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning at verse number 13. We read here, And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, Neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart. Pastor preached about this this morning. The wicked heart of man. But have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them, till I have consumed them. All around you and I tonight, we see people professing to be Christians, yet turning from the truth, turning from the will of the Lord, and in doing this, they have corrupted their ways. They are disobedient to the laws of God, and they even eschew or hate the, Lord, the, the law of God. All across America tonight are people that attended so-called Christian church services this morning, yet live in total rebellion to the law of God. The aversion of God's will. Yes, Nehemiah, he despaired over the desolation of Jerusalem. He wept over the condition of Jerusalem. But what about you and I tonight? Oh, we, we love to hear messages about how great America was. And we, we love to hear preaching that, that, that condemns the, 
the vile practices of this world, but tonight, are you and am I in despair over the desolation of our nation, over, over the future of our children, over the future of our grandchildren, or, or do we not even care? Do we listen to a message like this and we say, wow, that's, that's pretty bad. But then we leave and go on about our lives and go on about doing the same things we always did. Oblivious of God, oblivious of the important things in life, oblivious of our priorities, oblivious of of God's expectations. Nehemiah despaired over the desolation that he saw. And I must wonder about us tonight. But secondly, from this story that we see, I want us to notice that Nehemiah prayed for God's providence. Hopefully you're still in Nehemiah chapter 1, so let's go back there. And I'll begin reading at verse 6. Let thine ear now be attentive and thy eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commanded thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them... Though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, Nehemiah had a plan to go in and, and, and talk to the king about giving him permission to leave and return to Jerusalem that he might look upon the condition of the people and that he might help them in whatever way he can. But this was not a, a common practice, and, and Nehemiah even feared for his life for making such a petition before the king. So Nehemiah prayed for God's providence in this matter. Now, we have been taught so much about this matter of prayer. So I'm not going to belabor this this point tonight. However, I do want to draw attention to the content of Nehemiah's prayer. To those things which jump out at me when when I read this prayer of Nehemiah. First... I want us to notice that Nehemiah acknowledges the sin of Israel. Verses 6 and 7. He says, let now thine ear be attentive and thy eyes open. And a little further down he says, for the children of Israel thy servants. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Confession is always necessary before we seek God's blessing. Compare this to the washing 
of hands before sitting down to a meal, as James uh, illustrates in James 4, 8, where he states, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Nehemiah is coming before God, and he's, he's coming in humility, and he's confessing his sinfulness, and he's confessing the sinfulness of all of God's people before the Lord. David understood this. He understood this precept. In Psalm 51 and verse 1, we read, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. We live in a generation of blame shifters. Nobody ever wants to take responsibility for anything. There's always a reason that they did what they did. They blame everything and everyone around them. But the truth of the matter is, every man does what he desires to do in his own heart. And when we come before the Lord, it's, if there's anything that should be clear is that we are without excuse. And our sins are ever before us. And we must learn to confess them. And Nehemiah comes to the Lord and he acknowledges his sin. But next, we see that Nehemiah not only acknowledges his sin, but he affirms the expectations of the Lord. In verse 8 and 9, we read, Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest, thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, Though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. The expectations of the Lord. God does indeed have expectations for you and for me. Expectations concerning our testimony. The word of God tells us that we are to walk worthy of him that has called us. God has expectations surrounding our behavior. We can't, listen, Paul said, know ye not (laughs) that that ye are are the Lord's? You've been purchased, you've been bought with a price. And God expects you to behave in, a, in, in certain ways. To, the Bible tells us to walk circumspectly, not as fools. To be cautious, to be careful in our, in our daily life, in our walk. To be careful in our speech, to be careful in our thoughts. God has expectations. God also has expectations involving our fellowship in Christ. God tells us not to be unequally yoked together. God tells us that we are not to join ourselves unto those that do not believe the Lord, to those that are not of his, of his household. Expectations. Our blessing and or our cursing is not without expectations. In Deuteronomy <coughs> chapter 11 We read, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. 
I've heard it once said that God's laws are their own enforcers. And I don't necessarily know if that is true, but I'm not really interested in finding out. God does have expectations, and Nehemiah affirms that. Nehemiah affirms the fact that that you and I are expected to do certain things. You parents, you have expectations of your children, right? You expect them to do certain things, and if they do those certain things, you reward them. And if they don't do those certain things, well, you don't reward them. At least, you shouldn't. And Nehemiah affirms the expectations of the Lord. But then, thirdly, Nehemiah evokes the promises of God. In verses 10 and 11 of Nehemiah chapter 1, we read, Now, these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah evokes the promises of God. Nehemiah took a page out of Moses' prayers to God. Noah reminded, or I'm sorry, Moses reminded God that these were his people. God set in his, in his heart to, to destroy the people for their wickedness and for their disobedience, but Moses reminded them that, that he had promised these people, that these were, the, these were the seed of Abraham and the children of Abraham. And he reminded God of his great promises to Abraham. Now, this is not to say that God forgot about this, but there are times, there are times when it is right for us to claim the promises that God has given us. Not in an not in a arrogant way or in, or in a proud way, but there are times when we, are, we should come before the Lord and claim those promises that he made unto us. This is what Nehemiah is doing here. However, take a warning. You'd better make sure you are meeting the expectations that we spoke of before you so boldly claim anything from the Lord. But still, we are given by God the confidence to come boldly before him with our prayers and our petitions. In Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In time of need, not arrogantly, not demanding, but with confidence, knowing that God will hear us and will answer us. Everything that we do must be bathed in prayer. Everything. So first we see that Nehemiah was was in in despair over the desolation of Jerusalem. Secondly, we see that Nehemiah came before the Lord and, and prayed for his providence But now let's shift the story out of the palace, now that Nehemiah has been given permission to go to Jerusalem, and let's shift it upon the people. Thirdly, I want us to see in this story that the people were moved by Nehemiah's message. Let's go now to Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, Nehemiah at this point has arrived in Jerusalem, and he's met with the elders and and, and he's, he's toured the city and toured the wall and, and all these things. Now in chapter 2, we go to verse 12, and we'll read from, through the verse 18. So if you'll read patiently with me. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, 
Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. <laughs> and they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. I said the people were moved by Nehemiah's message. So far we've seen the despair over the desolation of Jerusalem and we have seen the prayer for God's providence to deliver them. Now Nehemiah shares his vision and his mission with these people. I think that most preachers would be envious of the response following Nehemiah's message. And they said, let us rise up and build. I'd imagine that preachers would love to preach a message and when, when he's done with his message, everyone would stand up and say, hey man, let's go do it. They were moved. Nehemiah's message brought them hope. It gave them a vision for what could be done. It provided them with God's plan to restore their blessed city. Now, let me get very personal for a moment. After 31 years of ministry, I have discovered that the majority of people who attend the preaching of God's word are not applying that preaching to themselves. In fact, it is almost as if they are just simply satisfying some duty to come and sit in a pew and endure preaching. But that is not the attitude of these people. They were focused on what Nehemiah had to say, and his message moved them. It stirred them into action. Now, for the past nine Sunday evenings, Pastor Smith has been preaching on the need for more outreach, both corporate and personal, in our church. So how many of us have been moved by these messages? And how many of us have rushed into his office and said, Pastor, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but do we react to the preaching of God's word in this church the way that these people reacted to the message of Nehemiah? Well, maybe if God afflicts us with what these people were enduring, maybe we'd be more attentive. Sometimes I think maybe we're just too comfortable. We, we have all we need. So 
Pastors preaching messages tickle my heart. No, I love it so much. But it doesn't move us. Maybe if God were to send a depression to our nation, maybe then people would begin to respond to his word. Maybe if God were to take away our health and put us in a condition of, of sickness and illness, and maybe then we'd respond to the preaching of his word. People tend to be much more receptive to preaching when they are in great distress. Don't forget the very reason Israel repeatedly suffered captivity was due to their ignorance and their apathy toward God. Don't be a foolish man. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6 we read, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Listen, don't wait until desolation overtakes you before you listen to the message to God, before you listen to the word of God delivered through the men of God who stand in pulpits and preach unto you the things that God has revealed unto him. So we see that the people were moved by Nehemiah's message. But next, I want you to notice in this story that God's people faced opposition with faith. This reconstruction of the wall was met with much resistance. As we track through the first four chapters in Nehemiah, we see in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19, when, but when Sanballat, Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? I said the people faced opposition. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1, we read earlier, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. In verse 3, we read, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he, even, he shall even break down their stone wall. They said, These people are so ignorant. If a, if a, if a fox runs on that wall, it's going to fall down. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 7, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. The enemies of God and his people did not want this wall to be built. The wall represented protection, it represented stability, it represented authority, and it represented power. And let me state tonight that the enemies of God do not want to see us succeed in furthering the gospel in this world. They want to stop us in every way they can. They will use the same tactics that Sanballat and Tobiah use. They will mock you. They will mock you for believing in Jesus. They will hate you and they will despise you. They will treat you with great indignation. They will belittle the work that you do. They will even conspire to fight against us and conspire to hinder us. So what was the reaction of the people in the face of this opposition? Well, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and let's go to verse 16. What did they do? 
Oh, all this, all this trouble, all this resistance, all this, all this uh, um, indignation and opposition. What did they do? Look at verse 16. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows and the harbagians and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens uh, with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I believe in my heart that all of these, all of these armaments mentioned, the sword, the shields, all these things represent the power of God. And they face that opposition by faith in God, by a knowledge that what they were doing was right and was in the will of God and nothing was going to hinder them from accomplishing their task. God give us people tonight. God give us people who do not fear the world, that do not fear the devil, or do not fear the opposition. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And there is nothing that God wills to be done that will not be done. He will not forsake us. Not one of his promises to us will go unfulfilled. And it's time as God's children, as God's army, it's time that we stand up and face opposition with faith in God. People today look at, look at men of faith as, as some, something's wrong with him. These men reacted with faith. I find many scriptures to encourage me when facing opposition. Just to name a few, Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? Romans 8.37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 John 4, verse 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Tonight, let us not be deterred by opposition. Let us go forward in faith, trusting the Lord for the result of our labors. And then lastly tonight, I want us to see they achieved in the face of adversity. They achieved in the face of adversity. The very verse from which I launched this message tonight. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. These people succeeded in building the wall. Why? Why did they succeed? Was it because they decided to build it? Was it because they had the knowledge or the, or the talent or the ability to build it? Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul also reminds us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. When we do things the way God has instructed us, when we pray and when we seek God's will, 
when we follow and obey the word of God, we will succeed. Why did these men succeed in building this wall, even in the face of adversity? Because they followed God. They obeyed his word. They submitted to his will. They didn't turn to the right hand or to the left. They faced opposition with courage and and with faith. We will succeed. Noah believed God's word. He built the ark and he was saved. Abraham trusted God. He left his home, went to a city built by God. Moses chose to suffer affliction rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin. Joshua and Caleb had faith in God's word and possessed their inheritance. David loved the Lord. He faced the lion, the bear, and he faced Goliath, and he beat them all. Solomon desired the wisdom of God above wealth, above fame, and above long life, and God gave him all of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to to bow to the idol. David obeyed the word of God rather than the law of man. Now, it is important to remember that obeying the will of God may not always be pleasant. Moses did suffer in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua and Caleb did have to face and fight many battles to inherit that land. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. Daniel spent the entire night with the lions in the lion's den. God's will may not always... Are you listening to me? Don't write notes right now. Listen to what I have to say. God's will may not always be pleasant, but it's always successful according to God's purposes. And we must learn that. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good. Maybe not for me, but for God's will. All things work together for good that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. You will never know the joy of experiencing God's power and majesty unless you are willing to go and face the adversity. So what about you and I tonight? Are we brokenhearted over the desolation that we see all around us tonight? Do we even care? Are you trusting the Lord tonight for your providence? Or are you trusting in your own resources? Are you attentive and receptive to the preaching of God's word? Or are you just filling some duty by being here and not applying the message, just enduring the moment? Do you have the faith to, the faith to face trials and tribulations tonight? Or do you just adapt and go with the flow? Do you have the courage to face adversity and obey the Lord? Or do you succumb to the world and all of its influences? Nehemiah wrote, so built we the wall. 
and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Now, I'm not saying tonight that it's wrong to be energetic in your career. I'm not saying that it's wrong for a man to try to to get all he can so he can provide for his family. But these people in Jerusalem had nothing. They had nothing left. They were afflicted. They were desolate. They, they were in distress. They had nothing. And the only hope they had was the Lord. And we are so blessed in America tonight. We have so many things except a mind to work. That we don't have. It's time that God's children in this church and in all churches, lest we sit in our pews and lest we begin to think how great we are, we better stop, take a look at ourselves because we need to get busy. We need to get busy doing the work of the Lord. Nehemiah said, we built the wall. But not because of me. We built the wall because the people had a mind to work. And you and I, as members of Berean Baptist Church, we can't just sit in our pews and look at the pastor and say, okay, what are you going to do for us today, pastor? Because Nehemiah didn't build that wall by himself. He, maybe he motivated the people. Maybe he inspired the people. But he didn't build it alone. The people had a mind to work. And it's time that all of us, all of us, get busy and go to the pastor and say, what do I need to do? What do you, what do you need me to do? Let's get busy and let's, let's build our faith and let's build, let's build a, our church and, and let's build a, a future for our children and our grandchildren so that they'll have this kind of preaching and they'll have this opportunity to worship in 20 years and 25 years and 40 years. The people, the people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Father, I fear that many of us in America tonight just don't get it. I, I, believe, we lo- I believe many people love you, Lord, and I believe people love your word, and I believe all these things, but... I believe we've lost the mind to work. I believe we've lost the desire. We've lost the drive. We've lost the passion to serve you. And not just to be spectators and not just to sit in the pews and and watch what happens, but to be a part of it. To grab that trowel, to, to work on the wall and to hold that sword in our hand and be prepared to fight. This is what we need, Lord. I pray that you would help each of us here tonight to have the mind to work, to be willing to do what it takes, and to be willing to face whatever adversity or whatever trial or, or whatever we must do. Help us, strengthen us. We are weak and can do nothing without you. So we ask you to bless us tonight. I pray you'd use this message to speak to the hearts of people. And for this, we will praise your name and thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.